Let us pray. Thank you, most gracious one, for this time to be together in your presence, for your spirit that is faithful to meet with us when we gather in your name. Open our hearts to that spirit at this time that we might hear your words spoken through the scriptures that we have heard and through your spirit that now I invite to speak through these lips. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It is great to be home, and I want to begin by simply expressing my appreciation to all of you, to our staff, to our vestry, for making these three months of sabbatical possible for me and for you all holding things together while I've been gone. And I especially want to express appreciation to our senior warden, Patty Nunn, who has done a phenomenal job over these three months. There are lots of stories. I've been lots of places. That prayer shawl that you gave to me the day, my last day here before sabbatical began, has been with me over more than 30,000 miles this summer. Uh, but you'll thankfully not hear all of those stories this morning. <laughs> I invite you to look with me, however, at the New Testament lesson, the, the gospel lesson to begin with. This parable that Jesus tells is in some ways a troubling parable. And I, and I want you to just interact with me for a moment. What is the nature, what is the, the, the spirit of the relationship between this landowner who purchased and developed a vineyard, leased it to tenants? What's the nature of the relationship between the landowner and the tenants? That's not very good, right? That's, that's true. Adversarial, very much adversarial. What's in the heart of the tenants? Greed, maybe greed, maybe a little resentment. Uh, now think with me about, as Jesus is telling this parable, and he invites those who are listening to suggest what the response of the landowner might be when his son has been killed, in addition to the servants who came before. What, what's the response of those who are hearing? How did they expect the landowner to respond? I'm going to kill all those miserable tenants who don't respect me, and I'm going to find some tenants who will recognize me for who I am and honor my position as the landowner and give to me what is rightfully mine, the produce from the land. Jesus says to those who hear that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from people that are like these tenants and who fail to produce a harvest for the kingdom, fruits of the kingdom. So in this, there is a, there is a sense of which those who are hearing this, maybe they're thinking that if the kingdom of God is about production, bearing fruit, then I'm judged on the basis of how productive I am, how fruitful I am. And most of us know when it comes to taking inventory of our own lives and how we measure up to what our expectations are or what we perceive to be the expectations of God in our spiritual life, most of us find ourselves wanting, right? Am, am I the only one who... <laughs> 
comes up a little short. And so there is, by the very fact that we have this sense of, I'm not quite measuring up, there is within that a measure of fear. What is God going to think of me? How is God going to respond to my not being as productive, as fruitful as God expects me to be? This is human nature. And it has its roots really all the way back at the beginning of the story. And we look at our Old Testament lesson in uh, the book of Exodus. And what is this lesson? What do we find here? The Ten Commandments. Now, put yourself in the place of the people of Israel. Let's, let's try and paint the picture of what they are witnessing. What is it that they are experiencing? What is it that the people of Israel see happening around them? Pardon? They got out of jail. Okay. Not free, but... Okay. Uh, well, at this point, they're not under Roman rule. What is, what, just the physical surroundings. What is it that the people of Israel are experiencing when Moses comes down from the mountain with the commandments? What have they seen? They've seen lightning. They've heard thunder. They see smoke coming from the mountain. It is an awesome, fearful kind of a sight. And when Moses comes down with these commandments, how do the people respond? You talk to us, Moses. We, we know you. We can see you. We can trust you. But this God who brings these commandments to us, this God who has brought smoke to the mountains and lightning and thunder, this God scares us, frightens us. Don't let that God talk to us or we're going to die. Right? So there is at this introduction of God and the commandments to the people of Israel, there is fear at its very heart. But listen to what Moses says to the people in response to their saying, don't, don't let this God talk to us. You talk to us. Moses said to the people, do not, do not be afraid. He identifies the very thing that they are feeling, fear. Don't be afraid. God has come only to test you. And they think, oh yeah, test, we get that. This is probably the first ever checklist. <laughs> the origin of the checklist. There are the Ten Commandments. How do we do today? Check this one. Oh, not that one. Uh, better luck tomorrow. So there is this sense in which the people understand God is testing them, and here's that fear. But then Moses says, God has come only to test you and to put the fear, and there's that word again, of him upon you so that you do not sin. Now, let me, let me help you understand that word fear. It doesn't mean to be frightened. This is not fear as in Halloween is coming and then not Scary Farm and Universal Studios and all of those things that we associate with fear. This word in its original context is a word that's probably better awe. 
God has come only to test you and to put the awe of him upon you so that you do not sin. The awesome nature of God, the power of God has been on display. There's smoke from the mountains. There's lightning and thunder. This all-powerful, all-consuming God, Moses is saying, has chosen to extend relationship to you. And if this is the nature of the God who chooses to be in relationship with us as God's people, then we have nothing to fear. So Moses is trying to alleviate the fear that is present in the people of Israel at the words of the commandments. The commandments are really God saying to his people, this is who I am, this is my character, this is what I am about, this is how you can stay in relationship with me. But do you think they got that message? No. They didn't get that message. They got the checklist. And the checklist became a part of the fabric of their culture and society from that day forward. Skip with me now to the epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Just to show you how deeply ingrained this checklist mentality had become, here is Paul. And in this letter to the church at Philippi, he, he presents what is arguably his resume. These are the things that he has accomplished in his life. These are the things that he has to his credit. And it's a very impressive resume. If any of you think you have reason for confidence... I have more. You think you're good. <laughs> Let me tell you about me. Here is Paul, circumcised on the eighth day in keeping with the commandments, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, underscore that. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying, you know that checklist? And by this time, it was not just the ten, but the people like the Pharisees had extrapolated out many, many more in helping to more clearly define those ten. And so it was a very daunting task for the people of Israel to think that they could keep all of the commandments. But... Paul is here saying, I'm blameless. You want to look at what it, you want to see what it looks like to live a life that is perfect under the law? Just look at me. Now I know we read Paul and we hear about Paul, and at least for me, anyways, I think he's probably a little more full of himself than he needs to be. <laughs> or in denial, you know. A lot of us live there in that place of denial. But here, Paul is saying, all of those laws, I've kept them. But what does it matter? Read on. Paul says, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
All of those things that I had to my credit, this very impressive resume I've just presented to you, it's all rubbish. It's all garbage. It's all dung in the literal language. None of that matters. What matters, he says, is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that word knowing is not just, I'm, a, I'm, I'm familiar with this Jesus. It is a word that conjures up intimacy. I am intimately aware of this Jesus, and this Jesus is intimately aware of me. Paul had a very awe-inspiring experience of his own with Jesus. Do you remember? That road to Damascus. He's been about persecuting the church because he thinks that this early church is, is anti-everything that he understood relationship with God to be, only to be confronted by a bright light on that road to Damascus. And he hears the voice coming from that bright light, and he has a personal encounter with Jesus himself that completely changes Paul's life. And now he says, that checklist didn't mean a thing. What really mattered was having relationship with the one who came to reveal to us the heart of God, this awesome God. What the people of Israel mistakenly understood, and it's not so unlike the mistakes that we often make. We mistakenly think that God's purpose is to command us into submission. But instead, God's purpose is really to awe us into relationship. God is not about commanding us into submission. He's about awing us into relationship. This amazing, all-powerful, all-loving God chooses to be in relationship with the likes of me, warts and all. I don't know how that makes you feel, but it's a pretty sobering thing for me. And listen to what Paul says in the final analysis. After saying that he wanted to be familiar with all there is of Jesus, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Forgetting what is behind. How do we live in the past? How many of us spend our lives looking back more than we look ahead? Probably most of us. And when we look back, we can come to several conclusions. We can look back and see all of our failures, and none of us can look back without seeing failure somewhere. And we base our worth on that performance, the checklist. Or we can look back and we can see all the wonderful things that we've accomplished in our lives and give ourselves the great pat on the back and think that we are more than we really are. Or we can look ahead as Paul looked ahead. There was a lot that Paul would like to have forgotten, but there was more that was ahead because of the relationship that Paul had with this living Jesus. This summer, my sabbatical has been a series of pilgrimages. 
and it, uh, more than just a few, but it's divided up basically into three months, July, August, and September. And July was very much about family. I traveled to Oregon, where my daughter Adrian is living. I had the opportunity to see all of my kids and grandkids during that month. It was a wonderful, glorious thing. I had a chance to uh, uh, marry off my youngest daughter. So there's one less archer in the world today. But I gained a son-in-law who is a wonderful young man who is taking very good care of my daughter. It was a, a pilgrimage of family. And as there is in most families, there, there are some things that are not always pleasant. Family dynamics are not always fun. And I had reached a place where I was going through some personal angst around family issues. And I'd reached the point where I'd almost decided, I'm just finished. I'm done. I've done everything I can do. I don't know what more there is I can do. I am just finished. I'm not going to try anymore. I had intentionally decided that I wanted to experience some different worship settings over the summer. And one of the places I wanted to visit was a a ministry of the Episcopal Church in Santa Monica, a ministry, a church by the name of Thad. Some of you may be familiar with Thad. It is an Episcopal church, but it's not a typical Episcopal church. There is not communion every Sunday. They don't really even use the lectionary. But the rector, Jimmy Bartz, who is a dear friend of mine, I love to hear him preach, and so I was going to go and hear him preach on this particular day. So I sent a Facebook message to Jimmy and said, Jimmy, tomorrow I'm going to be at your church. He sent me back a message and says, Michael, I'm on sabbatical. <laughs> but they're still going to have church, so you should go. And I thought, I don't want to go without Jimmy. He's the reason that I was going. But I woke up that morning and I decided I'm I'm just, I'm going to go anyway. So I got in the car and I drove to Santa Monica and I got into that service. And just to give you a glimpse of, of what Thad's is all about, they, they have a, a team meeting every week that's a, creati- a creative team. And I mentioned they don't use the lecture. I'd actually read the lections for the week when I was expecting to hear one of the lessons, but it was not based on those lessons. The music that they do is primarily written by members of the congregation. So I walked into this service and I was hearing music that it was unfamiliar to me, but there was, as I sat down, there was a line in one of the songs that was printed in the bulletin, and as they sung it, it jumped off of the page. And the line simply said, I'm a little boy in an old man's soul. I'm a little boy in an old man's soul. And I thought, oh, my word. That was me. And this preacher for the day was not a priest. This was a young seminarian. And you know what she preached about? Family. 
You know the first question she asked? Who is there in your family that you need to pray a blessing over today? And I thought, Lord, of all the places I could have been today, I'm here, and it's not even based on the lectionary. But it was as though that service was entirely created, crafted for me. And I heard in my spirit God saying, you know those pilgrimages that you had planned? This is one you hadn't planned, but this is for you. And I was in tears most of the rest of that day, and those tears bathed the anxieties and the wounds and washed me clean. That was not the checklist, God. That was the awesome God. And this morning, I commend to you, if you're looking back and seeing failure and basing your worth on that failure, take Paul's advice, forget what is behind. If you're looking back and seeing all that you've done, the the many years of your faithful service to the kingdom, forget what is behind. And let this awesome God invite you afresh, not into submission by commandments, but into renewed relationship by the awesome nature of this all-loving God. This is the God we serve and the God who invites you to the table of communion this day. May we experience him in his freshness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.